Well, that's certainly a great song, All Glory Be to Christ. I hope uh, that that is your wish and your desire for 2022 uh, as we uh, today I'm going to talk about goals in the first sermon of this series entitled Countercultural. This will be a new series that I'll start today. I think it'll last maybe six weeks or something like that. And the gist of this, of this, uh, of this series is that though there are many types of people that are in the world, Christians are called to be different. We're called to live differently. We're called to act differently. We're called to think differently. Do you know I used to not believe that when I was a young Christian and even whenever I first started in ministry, I had this philosophy of ministry that church should be a place where lost people feel really, really comfortable and where they walk in the door and think, hey, all these people, are, they're just like me, except that they love Jesus. And, uh, but as I tell you, as I've grown in Christ and as I read the Bible, I see something completely different in biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is supposed to be lived in such a way where people who don't know Christ, they look at us and they think, what is, what, what is wrong with them? <laughs> where they look at us and they think, they just, they think differently. They act differently. They talk differently. They, they, they see the world differently. They approach myriad of topics just different than I do. And so this series is about how we practice our Christianity. Now, when I say practice our Christianity, I don't mean just simply attending church, reading the Bible, praying, those types of things. When I say practice our Christianity, I mean that there are, there are some categories of our life in which we are to live in a biblical way to where when people look at us, they think, okay, there's a difference in the way that that Christian person approaches life and death and work and money and marriage and child rearing and suffering and politics and all of these different things. That people should look at us as Christians and we should have countercultural standards. We should have countercultural thoughts and countercultural perspectives um, in comparison to people who don't know Christ. And the reason for this is because how else are we supposed to show people the beauty of the gospel? How else are we to be the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing if we don't live any different than them? If, if we don't have a spiritual life that carries over into all the categories of life, that looks attractive and desirable to people, then how, how, are, how are we to have anything at all to offer people? I believe that there's a trap that modern-day Christians sometimes fall into, and, uh, and that is that we just look and act like everybody else except for the fact that we go to church on Sundays. And at worst, um, we look more like the Pharisees in Scripture than we look like Jesus. We just are these angry, we're a bunch of angry religious people who happen to also live just like everybody else. And of course, we don't do that. So, well, we don't want to do that. So there's several categories, several areas of life that we're going to look at in this series. And I have them for you. I have them uh, for the screen for you. These are kind of some of the main things that we're going to be talking about. Today, we're going to look at how we're supposed to have countercultural life goals. Uh, obviously, I chose that sermon for today, the first Sunday in, in the year, so that you know, we could kind of think about some goals, some spiritual goals that we have for ourselves. But we're going to talk about countercultural leadership. 
Shouldn't there be a difference in the way that we wield influence and a different way in which, uh, you know, the goal of our influence should be whatever position that we might hold within the world? Certainly so. Uh, We have a view of life, uh, of the created order, and of how life should be cherished than the average person in the world does. Uh, It's not a coincidence that I have scheduled this uh, either on or right after, or maybe right before the Sanctity of Human Lives Sunday, as we're going to talk about these important issues, countercultural issues in that regard. But also, we are supposed to have a countercultural understanding of relationships. Uh, In this particular sermon, uh, I'm going to talk about marriage and family and kids and issues of gender and sexuality and gender roles and all of those things that we believe that the Bible teaches that are completely countercultural in our world. So obviously we're going to talk about money. We should approach money differently. Wealth, I'm just calling it wealth management, but how we handle our money and our approach to money. Our approach to suffering should look completely radically different than the world does around us. And then, of course, our engagement in politics. These are kind of what I would say are some of the major areas that, that, that kind of touch all of our lives that we're going to talk about. And I'm going to weave some other topics in there also. But today I want to talk about countercultural life goals. And uh, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3 as we are going to read about a guy named the Apostle Paul who had it all. I mean, all of the goodness that the world has to offer the Apostle Paul in his day, he pretty much had everything. And he's going to talk about a countercultural goal, really several countercultural goals that I'm also going to present to you today that he embraced and that I believe that we should embrace as well. I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through verse 11. He starts off by giving them them some warnings about the circumcisers, uh, some people who, uh, the party of the circumcision, who taught false doctrine. I won't go into that today. But he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These is a, is a quick reference to some false teachers, and that won't be part of my message today. But in verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ. And look at this phrase. And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he lists some accolades. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But look what happened in his life. Something changed. Something different happened that caused him to have different goals and to have a different perspective of the world. Look what happened. Look what he says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. In verse 10 and 11, I want to, I want to, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to memorize Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 11 this week. Put it as a screensaver on your phone. Write it on a note card. Uh, put it on a post-it note and put it in your car. I want to encourage you to memorize these verses. He says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, today we just want to thank you so much for your word. And I pray, God, that today you would show us how we might have counter-cultural goals. I pray that you would show us how we might be different. Use your word today, God, to speak to your people in your way. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. How many of you were busy in 2021? How many of you are going to be busy in 2022? Busy, busy, busy. That's just what we are, right? What are you driven towards? What, what is it that you're working for? I mean, all of this busyness in your life and everything that you're doing and your calendars is as full as mine and probably more so, what are you driven towards? What are you working for? What are you trying to attain in this life? I believe that the Bible teaches that how our goals in life are to be counter-cultural. And if our goals in life are counter-cultural, obviously this sets the stage for us living in a counter-cultural way in our world. In these verses that we just read, we read how the Apostle Paul, a guy who had everything, got saved turned away from it all, considered it all a loss for a counter-cultural goal of having the righteousness of Christ, for the, well, stated simply for the counter-cultural goal that he might be godly. And all of it began with a shift in confidence that happened in his life at the moment whenever he got saved. And he starts off by talking about this confidence that he had, which I'm just going to call it a cultural confidence to, to, to kind of go along with the sermon series that I'm talking about. And uh, he lists all of these things that he was confident in. You know, how, how do you build confidence? How does a person become a confident person? Well, I guess you become good at something. If you want to be confident at sports, you become good at sports. If you want to be confident in academics, well, then you read a lot. If you want to be confident in your job, then you, you, move, up into the, uh, you move up into the ranks. There's, there's lots of ways that we can become confident. Basically, you become a good person or you become good at something. You get a good job. You get a good salary. You find a good station in life. You have good friends, a good house, a good social standing. You treat people 
good. And this seems to be the cultural standard. Basically, to have a confidence in the flesh is what the Apostle Paul talks about. And he mentions it three times. This confidence in the flesh, basically, you you just be good and you have a cultural confidence that kind of comes along with it. The Apostle Paul was such a person with such confidence. He was a good God. He had some good things. And he lists some pretty strong accolades as to who he was and what he knew and what he had in a first century perspective. Now, obviously, for us, we would have different standards and different things that we would point to that would give us status and position and accomplishment and all of those things. But the Apostle Paul, basically, he, he, in his day, he talks about his confidence in the flesh, talks about his upbringing and where he was born. He had a pretty significant pedigree, born into a high class. He was pretty, a pretty um, established person within his people. By the way, he also, he also was a Roman citizen and had dual citizenship, so he was a pretty established person just by the nature of, of his birth, but he also had a pretty good position. It was the position of a Pharisee. Now, I know that for you and I, that's a negative word. None of us want to be called Pharisees because of what we read in Scripture and because of what we have been taught through Scripture. We want to be the opposite of that. We don't want to look like the Pharisees. We want to look like Jesus. But in Paul's day and in Jesus' day, to be a Pharisee was to be something, was to be politically, socially, financially, and religiously something. It was, a, it was a pretty high position where you had to have the right education, the right status. You had to study under the right people. You had to do all the right things. And Paul was zealous. I mean, he had made a name for himself in persecuting the church, well, in, in doing what was good, in doing good and, and, and among his peers. Um, and he was blameless. Look, he even says it. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. In Paul's day, this describes a person with everything. He was a good guy. He was good religiously. He was good morally. He was good culturally. He was good socially. I won't throw spiritually in there because we know what the Bible says about people who think they are good, that there's not really anyone that is good, but from a cultural, societal perspective, he was good. And when you're good, and everyone thinks that you're a good person, and you reach a high level of confidence, then basically, you have a lot of confidence in yourself. It's a self-righteousness. And to have status, to have position, and to have clout, gives everyone who has these things worldly confidence, and rightly so. To have these things, like Paul had, to have these things is to have this physical world open to you. If your goal is security and affirmation and comfort in this world then basically you need all these good things just like the Apostle Paul had all these good things and be a good person. And this is why everybody runs after these things. This is why everybody seeks all the good in life. This is why they seek the the good jobs and the good position and the good friends and the, the good station in life. 
But Paul made an incredible statement about all this goodness that you and I, if we're honest, we get caught up in it. We get caught up in striving after and running after in all of our busyness. We get caught up in running after all of this goodness that some of us have obtained a measure of it and some of us haven't, but we get, all, we get caught up in going after it as strongly and as hardly as we can. And here we are in the first week of January, and I bet your wheels have already been turning about all this good stuff in, in life that you're going to be running after and trying to attain in the year 2022. But the Apostle Paul, when he got saved, something changed in him. And he started saying, you know what? Goodness in this life is too low of a bar. And he went after what we're just going to call a countercultural righteousness. A countercultural righteousness, as described in verse 7 through verse 9, speaks about something that is opposite of what people usually are going after in this world and in this life. You see, our culture pushes us towards self-righteousness, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, achievement, and all of those types of things. But the Bible gives us a countercultural goal, and he states it right here as the righteousness from God. Stated simply, his goal was to be godly. That that was his goal. And that good was just, good is just too low of a bar. It seems like that good, as I've described it here in this sermon, is this gold standard that every human being naturally shoots for. But Paul says that is not good enough. It's too low of a bar, and I want the righteousness of God. I want to be godly above everything. And he mentions that this only comes through faith in Jesus. And this righteousness from God, radically different than cultural goodness, because it doesn't come from self-achievement. It doesn't come from position. It doesn't come from working, trying to attain it. And so faith in Jesus is countercultural. It's radically different, and it requires us to look at all the things that the world says is good, all of the things that we strive after in all of our busyness, and say, whatever was to my gain, all that goodness, I'm going to count it as loss. I'm going to count Everything is lost because there's something that is of surpassing worth. There's something that is so much better for me to pattern my life after. He says, I'm going to count it as loss. Friends, when you receive Jesus and seek him, it means to turn your back on status, position, and financial security as the driving force of your life. It doesn't mean that you can't not want these things. It doesn't mean that you can't. It doesn't, my Bible never says, hey, you shouldn't want a good job or you shouldn't want to have financial security. The Bible doesn't ever call these things evil. But when you make a good thing a God thing, it's a bad thing. When we begin to look at those things and say, I'm going to pursue all of that goodness that this world has to offer, and it's more important to me than godliness, we probably need to check ourselves spiritual. And so there's some countercultural goals 
that I want to present to you today. And I want to ask you to pray about. And it's related to this, th- these last two verses that I, that I encourage you to memorize as well. Philippians 3, verse 10 through verse 11. He says, I, I, I turn my back on all that good stuff that the world has to offer. There's something so much better. It's godliness. It's the righteousness of Christ. And I turned my back on all of those things so that I could have new goals. I no longer desire position. The being a Pharisee of Pharisees or being a Hebrew of Hebrews and being a Pharisee and being zealous and being righteous according to the law. Not good enough anymore. He says, I want something better than what everybody else in the world culturally is going for. He says, I want something more. I want something different. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. And I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now listen, and this is important. What these goals are right here, and hear me on this, these are counter-cultural spiritual goals. Most of the time, what happens is that we have spiritual goals that are not in line with the gospel. And so, therefore, it's impossible for us to have life goals that are in line with the gospel because at our foundation, we don't have spiritual goals that are in line with the gospel. This is why there's so many carnal Christians. This is why there's so many Christians that aren't godly at work. They're not godly in their home and in their marriage. They're not godly in the way that they handle their money and schedule their time. They're not godly in all of the areas of their life. They're not living out the gospel in all of the areas in which we live life because their spiritual goals are not in line with the gospel. If we, don't get, if we don't get these goals right, we can't live for Jesus, not in the way that we're supposed to. If how we approach God and church and our spiritual life is not itself countercultural, then nothing else will be. What are your spiritual goals? I asked you to think about that earlier in the service. What, what, are, what are your spiritual goals? What do you want to get out of church? What do you want to get out of reading your Bible? What, do you want to, what are you trying to get out of a spiritual life? What are, you, what are your spiritual goals? You know, I find that a lot of people, their spiritual goals is just to be good. And I just, I just want to shake my head because I think that's what everybody else is looking for. Everybody else is running after this goodness, this cultural goodness, this cultural confidence, these material and physical blessings that everybody in the world is going after those things. You can be an atheist and run after those things. You can be a pagan and go after those things. You you don't have to be anything special. You certainly don't have to be a Christian or be anything spiritual to go after good. It's, it, it, does, it doesn't take a spiritual life at all. 
But good is too low of a bar. And sometimes this is what we do with God. We approach God thinking, okay, I'm going to be good and I'm going to act good. And then in return, God's going to say, oh, he's a good boy. Here's your treat. But unfortunately, that's not the way it works. We want to be godly. We don't want to be good. Here's four spiritual goals for you. And I'm nervous you're not going to like them. These are not things that we normally strive for. These, I want to give you four spiritual goals that are related to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 11 that I'm going to ask you to pray about. I'm going to ask you to think about these spiritual goals because I believe these will form the foundation of everything in your life. These aren't, these aren't the only spiritual goals that are gospel-centered that you can embrace for yourself. But these are four spiritual goals that we see clearly in these two verses that I believe will change your life and that I believe that will lead to godliness. Here's a goal for you. To have a heart like Jesus. That's, that's what Paul says in this verse when he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. This is not speaking about a future whenever he's bodily raised from the dead and lives in heaven. That, that comes later. What he's saying right here, he's saying, I want to know the resurrection power that changes me and changes my heart and makes me a new person. This is what he, this is what he says that, 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 he, that he's looking for. And I find that many people... They pursue God because they want their circumstances changed, but they don't want their hearts changed. And this is not what godly people do. Godly people want, them, want to themselves, in their heart and in their souls, change. They don't want to just put new window dressing on their life move to a different town, get a different job, marry a different person, you know, uh, dress differently, look differently. All of that is window dressing. None of that truly penetrates deep into the soul. The truly godly person says, I want to have a heart change, and I don't want to just get saved and have a heart change one time. I want to continue to have that heart change all throughout my life. And we see this every day. We see people saying things like, Lord, Fix my marriage rather than saying, Lord, make me a godly husband who loves my wife like Christ loves the church. Or make me a godly wife. That's, that, that's the prayer for godliness. That's the prayer for heart change. We see a lot of people coming to God and saying, Lord, provide for me. I have needs. But the person that wants their heart change says, Lord, when you provide for me, Help me to be generous and giving to other people. Just like you were generous and giving by coming and dying on a cross for my sins, I want to do that for others. A lot of times we say, Lord, show those people how they wronged me because I deserve justice. Rather than saying, God, change my heart so that I would forgive the person that wronged me. We say, Lord, give me friends. I need relationships. Give me friends. Rather than saying, you know what, God? Help me to be a friend to people. Help me to speak kindly to others and do things for others. You see, when we ask God to change our heart, there's really nothing, there's, there's really no other greater prayer of godliness than saying, Lord, if you change my life on the outside, fine. 
But God, what I really want, what I'm really passionate about is that you would change me on the inside, change my heart to love and desire and want the things that you desire and want. That's a spiritual goal, to have a heart like Jesus. How about this one? Oh, you're really going to like this one. To suffer for Jesus. You ever made a spiritual goal like that? To suffer for Jesus? That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, all the goodness that this world has to offer and all the goals that people run after and status and position and wealth and all of those things that their hearts are driven towards, all that goodness. He says, I considered it rubbish so that I might gain Christ. And now what I look for is that I might share in his sufferings. I dare say, I dare say many of us did not pray that this morning. I dare say that many of us didn't wake up this morning and say, Lord, show me what I have to suffer for you. God, I want to suffer for you. I, 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 dare say that, I dare say that many of us rarely pray that prayer. And many of us probably have never prayed that prayer. How close to Jesus do you want to be? You know, one translation of this says that I may share in the, have the, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Do you know that there is a fellowship with God that you can have in suffering, and suffering is a part of it? Do you know that you can't serve God without suffering? You can't, you, you, you can't do it. Ask any pastor in this church. Ask any person that is on staff. Ask any life group leader, deacon, Ask anyone who has ever engaged in missions, has shared their faith with their friends, who has stood strong in their workplace. Ask any person who has ever done any level of ministry and serving God, and they will tell you that it causes suffering in their life. Should we be surprised at this? Isn't this the way that Jesus lived? Didn't the Bible say that he was a man of sorrows? Did he not suffer even whenever he went around and preached and lots of people responded? Did he not suffer ridicule from the religious leaders? Did he ultimately not suffer by dying on a cross? You remember, um, who was it? Uh, Peter, uh, James and John. Uh, mama came to them and said, hey, I got something I want you to do for my boys. Let them, let them sit in that wonderful place of comfort. Let them sit on thrones next to you. Let them sit in that place of position and comfort and promise, uh, 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 promotion. Let them, let them sit on those thrones next to you whenever you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, he looked at them and he said, can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? What was that cup? that Jesus drank of. He prayed, he sweat drops of blood. He was so tormented in the garden when he said, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass, but not what I will, because I'm willing to suffer for you, God. Let this cup pass from me. He looked at them and he said, can you drink this cup? And what did they say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can drink of that cup, and I can just picture Jesus kind of shaking his head, saying, you're going to drink my cup, but to sit on thrones is my father's decision. There is a cup of suffering that comes along with serving Jesus. It's just a part of it. And the person that is truly regenerate wants it. You see, Jesus died on a cross for us, and he told us to take up one. 
He died on one. He told you to take up a cross. It's a cross of suffering. Remember Paul whenever he got saved? God appeared to Ananias and he said, hey, go, go seek out that Paul dude. And Ananias was like, whoa, wait just a minute. He's hunting for me to kill me and people like me. And he said, go find him because I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. And do you know whenever Paul wrote this, he was in prison? Do you read, the, read the book of Acts and how much he served and how much he suffered. He wasn't pampered whenever he served the Lord. He suffered. How about that for a spiritual goal? Lord, I want to suffer for you because I want to serve. I want to suffer for you. But how about this one? Number three, sacrifice for Jesus. He says, becoming like him in his death. Anybody pray that this morning when you got up and come to church? Oh, Lord, today, may I just become like you in your death. It's not a prayer, not a, not a prayer that we typically pray. Do you know Jesus would not have been a person worthy of worship unless he died? He would have accomplished nothing for us unless he would have died. And this is the posture. If you want to be godly, if being godly is your goal, your posture towards God must be, Lord, what do I need to give up for you? God, what do I need to give up so that I can be faithful on the Lord's day? Because you're worthy of my praise. God, what do I need to give up in order to read my Bible more? Because sleep is, 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 uh, is not as important to me as waking up and reading your scripture. God, what do I need to give up and sacrifice so that I can go on a mission trip this year? Lord, I know it's, I'm going to have to take vacation days, but God, I give that up to you. I sacrifice myself for you. God, what am, what am I going to have to give up financially in order to give of my tithes and give of my offerings and be a generous person. Lord, I really want to pay off my house. God, I really want to buy that new car. I really want that new boat. I really want to go on that vacation. But God, I want to sacrifice myself. Show me what I have to give up in order to serve you. Very few people ask God, Lord, what do you want me to give up? Because we're too preoccupied and we're too busy asking God to give to us. Shouldn't it be the other way around if we serve God, if he is Lord, if he is in charge? Shouldn't we say, Lord, how do I serve you? How do I suffer for you? How do I sacrifice for you? This is a godly prayer. And this is a godly goal. And the last one, to live eternally with Jesus. Now, I remember I said that the first one didn't have, when it said the power of his resurrection, that didn't have anything to do with uh, future bodily resurrection, but present heart change in life. This last one, this last one has to do with the desire for eternity, to live eternally with Jesus, to attain the resurrection from the dead. Most of us, <clears throat> our goals in life, we wake up every morning and when we think about the future, when we think about the future, we think about graduating with my degree. We think about getting married. We think about, oh, one day I'm going to have children. Oh, one day I'm going to have another child. Oh, one day I'm going to have a bigger house. Oh, one day I'm going to have a better job. One day I'm going to retire. One day I'm going to do all of these things. 
when we think about the future, our goals for the future, if we're honest, most of us have goals for the future that are related to this world only. What if we had a goal for the future where every single morning we walked out of our front door and we smelled that fresh air and we looked to the east and we said, Lord, is today going to be the day that you step out on the clouds? Is today going to be the day that you come back? Is today going to be the day that I'm caught up in the air with you, that the dead in Christ rise and we go to be with you forever? Is today going to be the day? You know, that's how, that's how children feel about Christmas, right? And Christmas, you just can't get here fast enough. As adults, we think about that too. We have those goals. We just, I can't wait to get there. But I wonder if we had a spiritual goal that said, I want eternity with Jesus Truth is, if we're honest, what we really want is for this earthly life to be comfortable and secure. And that's what we spend our time, our goals for, saying, Lord, help my earthly life be comfortable and secure. Whenever Paul said, no, my spiritual goal is I can't wait until that day that I'm raised from the dead. Let me ask you a question, and I'm, and I'm done. How would your earthly goals change if your spiritual goals were in line with the gospel? How would your earthly goals change? All of those things that in this life, the goals that you have in life, maybe even the goals that you have set for yourself in 2022, how would your earthly goals change? How would you live your life differently? The decisions that you make, the way that you spend your money, who you marry, how would all of those things be different if you first had spiritual goals that were informed by and in line with the gospel? This is what I'm going to ask you to pray about today. Go back to the previous slide, if you don't mind, and put those four spiritual goals back up there. I want to ask you to think about and consider these goals. To have a heart like Jesus, to suffer for Jesus, to sacrifice for Jesus, to live eternally with Jesus. I'm going to ask you, just like I did earlier in our prayer time, I'm going to ask you to pray about these things again. And may, maybe there's one of these that struck you more than the other. Maybe you would say, you know, that suffering thing, I have done everything in life to avoid suffering. But you know, sometimes our spiritual life, it puts us in positions of suffering. Or maybe it's the sacrifice. And one of these, one of these things you would say, you know, I really need to pray hard about this. But let me point out something very important to you. If you are not a born-again believer in Jesus, these can never be your goals. These are spiritual goals that only overflow from a heart that has been regenerated and been changed by the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you'll, you'll never, in your heart, you'll never really embrace these goals. Let me tell you what you can do. You can continue to come to church and be a religious person and hope that a God up there somewhere will make your life as comfortable and as secure as you really strive for it to be. You can do that your whole life. You can come and sit in church and do all the things that you're supposed to do and pray and give and, and try to please God so that he'll give you your treat. But unfortunately... You'll never have spiritual goals. You'll never be godly. You'll never be godly unless you learn to have goals that are truly spiritual in nature. And if you don't know Jesus today, 
I would hope that the Lord would stir your heart towards these things. You see, the average person that doesn't know Jesus would sit here and listen to this sermon and go, that joker's crazy. Who wants to suffer? Who desires to sacrifice? Who doesn't want to have self-confidence? I mean, who wants to die and be in eternity? These are crazy goals. You know what I would say to that person? I'd say, you're right. These are counter-cultural, biblical goals. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and let's pray and let's talk to Jesus right now. Do you know Jesus as Savior? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now and drawing your heart to Him? Would you say right now, man, this is crazy, but I really want to live my life that way. I really want a heart change. I really want to sacrifice. I really do want to suffer for God. I want eternity more than anything. Maybe you would say right now, it seems odd, but my heart is drawn to that. Friend, if that's happening in you right now, listen, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you and he's turning your heart to him. Would you respond right now and just say, Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, save me.